I was just looking at the soundtrack for the first film I want to talk about, Alan Partridge's Alpha Papa from 2013, released in the U.S. as Alan Partridge, where he's a radio host at Norwich radio station, and he, uh, the hostage situation occurs because he got a co-worker fired, and it's pretty pretty hilarious. Uh, some people say it's like lighter Alan Partridge, Steve Coogan, or like blown up for movie purpose sake. I think that's kind of entertaining. I want to, I would revisit this after a while. I've forgotten all the jokes in it and let it go again because it's pretty entertaining for me. And the soundtrack is good because they do work at a radio station and it does have Kuyana Scansi on the soundtrack by Philip Glass. Cole Meany is the deranged co-worker in this who's really hilarious when he comes back in wanting revenge on everybody with his shotgun so i definitely say check out alan potridge of course uh 2013 i guess uh it was late for me because i remember seeing the trailer for this when it came out and it was just wasn't available for a while and then there it is <laughs> all these years later it pops up over here used, and I could pick it up. So, it's worth a watch. I'm glad I could finally track it down. Yeah, I wanted, sorry to start with, a, just right into a review for Alan Partridge, but I wanted to start with that Koyanis Scotsy, of course. Uh, yeah, this is the third episode of Movie Reviews <laughs> Rising. I'm still your host, Cecil. And there was a bit of a holiday delay over the... Over the winter here. I don't know what to call it. The, all the New Year's and all that. So happy 2018. I've uh, been wait, anticipating that Star Wars movie to come out. And I will be reviewing that. But that's going to be at the very, very end. In the spoiler section. Because there's no other way to talk about that movie. Just going to get through a couple of other movies that I did catch. And just there's been tons of stuff going on been super busy of course and some of these movies i think you know they're challenging i think murder on the orient express should have been pushed a little bit further back in its release so it could have got all this like winter holiday staying in and or going out and going to movies as an option and i'm sure it did make some money from that season uh nice wintry movie you know and it's worth seeing on the big screen because of Kenneth Branagh's insistence on using like 75 millimeter film stock. I mean, he's usually 65 millimeter. He shoots super big pictures. So I do like to see them in the uh, big screen if I can. I was curious about this movie. It's a long movie. It's an hour and 54 minutes, right? It's PG-13 and... It takes its time, and it's very literary, and it knows it is, and it refers to authors and, you know, fiction writers, Dickens, and um, that's fine. I mean, it's a classic Agatha Christie, so I was wondering, how does it compare to the original? That's really what I would want to know, because some people say they're disappointed in this movie or not disappointed. Definitely nobody remembers the original by Sidney Lumet, which I did watch as well. 
And having seen that one, I do appreciate this version. This is Kenneth Branagh's version, and he always seems to do that. Like, for Hamlet, he brought his version, 65mm Hamlet. It's ridiculous. He always he always seems to bring his, his take, you know, and it's always very worthwhile. The cast here is very excellent. It's perfectly cast, essentially, with Daisy Ridley, just dig Penelope Cruz, and everybody, Michelle Pfeiffer... Judy Dench was fantastic with her dogs. She was really, she left an impression. It's a $55 million movie. The Sydney Lumet, I have it in pounds here, was a million and a half. So that gives you an idea of the scale and difference. The original had Michael York and Anthony Perkins and Lauren Bacall. That movie was full of people busting into exposition, just like uh, this new one is in 2017, because it's like mandatory. You're going to get exposition on these characters and murder mysteries. I don't have any horror this week, sadly, on the show. Really, not really any horror. But you got to count these two mystery films in the concepts of Murder on the Orient and The Beguiled, I guess. And then the, the mystery of Lady Macbeth. Um, it's as horror as it gets. Um, but sadly, no hard genre horror, you know. Um, like Leatherface. Didn't have one of those. Anyway, I'm getting off track. But this version has Willem Dafoe in it too. So you get Kenneth Branagh as Inspector Poirot. Poirot. Very well introduced in this movie i like that it kind of takes its time that's one of my favorite things about star wars a new hope by the way is how it just kind of takes its time and is almost kind of bland in a sense because it's a desert planet and i felt always i just got like it was very comforting because it was like neutral it goes well with like mad max as well those two those two tatooine and i guess the outback are really cool areas that also have a kind of repetitive, you know, could be, in a sense, boring. But that's how I would um, describe the pacing of some of these films. (laughs) So you have to be prepared for that. You have to be prepared to sit down and watch this movie when you're ready to do that. Being in a theater, I think, helps. Uh, and all that money <laughs> Kenneth Branagh is spending to bring to life the mustaches and the cakes and the train and the big picture elements, which he's like really fond of. And I found this to be slightly more entertaining than the, the prior version from 1974. Sean Connery and Albert Finney. I like Brenna's performances generally, right? So, I do dig this version. I thought it was a cool update. Um, yeah, I would give it a 3 out of 5. With visuals being at least a 7.5 for that money spent. Uh, and honestly, I would say don't bother with the original i really wasn't that big of a fan of it personally i mean you can as a completist frag at the christie fans absolutely but i think there are so many things that 
I didn't mind being updated. If you look at the actual structure of the movies, Murder on the Orient Express 1974 is two hours and eight minutes. And it's, to me, not the most visually pleasing film. It has a lot of names in it. But this new one has Michelle Pfeiffer in it. And they have hooked me into the idea of watching the next one, uh, Death on the Nile. So looking forward to seeing that, I guess, now. Why not? Hopefully it's better. Maybe a little bit uh, leaner and faster than this this one. Uh, good effort, for sure. Next up, we have Sofia Coppola's The Big Wild. The Big Wild. Which stars Colin Farrell as Corporal McBurney and Nicole Kidman as Miss Martha. Kirsten Dunst as Edwina. Elle Fanning as Alicia. Set during uh, 1864 American Civil War, Corporal John McBurney, a wounded Union deserter, finds a house run by Nicole Kidman with all these ladies in it and fine actresses. You just run into this house with all these great actresses in it, directed by Sofia Coppola. Uh, it's a period piece, a uh, historical drama, which I like when she does because of Marie Antoinette, which I'm a big fan of, with her working with Kirsten Dunst again, which was fantastic. That movie, yeah, that sets a precedent, and I was expecting that. And they have great costumes here, great historical period costumes that compared to the original, which I definitely want to pair this review with the review of... Don Siegel's version from 1971 starring Clint Eastwood and Geraldine Page and again like you could almost not not even go into 1971's version just do away with it entirely but Clint Eastwood is hilarious to watch here doing his narration and they fill in all these flashbacks that are left out of the new updated version. And again, I felt like this was just a a needed update on an older movie that you that, that most Americans probably aren't going to revisit anyway, Clint, this Clint Eastwood film. But if you do, it, it has some rewarding moments in the flashbacks of Clint Eastwood and his story and how he reacts versus Colin Farrell. I think they just let... Colin Farrell use his accent here as he is playing somebody named Corporal McBurney. The the design of everything, the way she Sofia Coppola directs visually with her DP, the way they stage the girls in the trees is done so well. Like as an homage to the original, and just with the lightest touch, you don't need much more than that. It's done very well to give that atmosphere and ambience. So I would give, I don't want to give too much away, and there's a, something I could talk about near the end for these characters, but I'd rather just not even go there. Sadly, because there's a funny comparison here to another movie, but it would be, it would be giving everything away. <laughs> so, See the Beguiled by Sofia Coppola, and maybe save the 1971 version for a rainy day. It's... Not nearly as good. I'm going to say that visually I'm going to give this a high score, at least an 8, and 
overall score of just outstanding. Go see it. The 1971, I'm just going to say that one visually is like a 6. It's boring. And it gets a 2.5 out of 5. And and then the audio is a 4. It's it's repetitive and annoying audio musically. And uh, Clint Eastwood's singing in the end. And, you know, that's not that's not the best. So, yeah. Just, I mean, just kidding. It's I'm just giving him a hard time because sometimes Clint Eastwood likes to throw in a song that he sang in the end credits, and The Beguiled is one of them. <laughs> so enjoy, enjoy Clint Eastwood singing. It's so great. No, no, <laughs> it's not. It's not. Who asked for that? When did that start being a thing? Uh, but yeah, that's The Beguiled. Both versions. Next is the first lady movie I want to talk about tonight which is Lady Bird uh, directed by Greta Gerwig uh, released 2017 really nice coming of age story here seen a lot of these movies and didn't expect to to really like one again you know this is kind of like it was surprising how I liked Spider-Man Homecoming it's very similar to Lady Bird here let me just pull up who shot Ladybird? I'm very curious about that for some reason. All of a sudden, we got budget of 10 mil and um, limited release, you know. So go go see Ladybird for sure. I'm gonna give this one a good review because I like it. I like the cast. Um, Laurie Metcalf, Sarsha Ronan. Tracy Letts is in this movie. Tracy Letts, writer of Bug, writer of Killer Joe. Tracy Letts in the house, in the movie. Still looking for the cinematographer. And it's um, Sam Levy. And uh, John Bryan did the music, which is cool. Overall, good sounding film funny soundtrack when they did use some songs it, they would sometimes pick like an awkward song you like growing up for random reasons and that's pretty funny approach to the music yeah um just cinematography was good on Lady Bird and oh by Sam Levy here who sh- who did shoot Francis Ha and he was in the camera department on Velvet Goldmine. But um, Francis Holly shot, which is cool. So that gives you an idea. Francis Holly looked great in black and white. I, what, a, what a great idea that was just to put that movie in black and white starring Greta Gerwig. Um, just, just cinematic wise, again, well shot. Um, just pulled up the editor of uh, Lady Bird, which is Nick Hoy, and he he actually edited uh, the Night of, which is a, which is a series I think I might review um, on here. I'm not sure about that yet, but that is something to note. The editor that is on Lady Bird. But yeah, I did enjoy it. It was not too long, Lady Bird. I thought the writing was excellent. I thought the dialogue was believable for the most part. All those arcs you could anticipate coming. 
in a fun way because you just want to see how the main character handles it. So you had a strong protagonist, which is just brings you along for the ride. And you hang out with her in Sacramento for until she can escape and go to New York. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, it scored the movie pretty high. I didn't know a 7. I would give them out of a 10. And uh, overall recommend. Then that leads me into Lady Macbeth, the other lady film. I guess this is from 2016, actually. I don't know. Shot 2016, released 2017. Directed by William Oldroyd. 19th century rural England. A young bride who has been sold into marriage discovers an unstoppable desire within herself as she enters into an affair. I'm not going to say anything else. That's why I don't even read these things. So, Lady Macbeth. This is, uh, I was curious because I like Macbeth, the play, of course, and the uh, different different movie versions of it. And when you do a Shakespeare, you're doing, you know, you're bringing some definition to the play. You're like showing your own, dim- I don't know, just perspective on that play and the character generally because Shakespeare writes such strong character based um, stories <laughs> which brings me back to Branna doing Hamlet his iteration of Hamlet is something you know it's just part of the great um, renditions of Hamlet even if it has this weird dated things here and there about it or flaws again it's 65 millimeter heat Kenneth Branagh just brings this hugeness to it uh so Lady Macbeth is a different approach it's a, it's 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 more of a small approach uh a little approach I don't know how else to describe it but smaller <laughs> in every way minimal even and you wonder what is the connection because it's not just doing the text of the play Macbeth with Lady Macbeth being a character this is a revisioning, a reimagining based on um, Nikolai Leskov's uh, Russian book. And it has a character who's so similar to Lady Macbeth and the, the way she was in the Shakespeare play. And it just recasts her here. And uh, we, we see her take the steps that a Lady Macbeth takes to be Lady Macbeth. And it adds a lot of definition to the character. Uh, I I like this more than the Michael Fassbender version of Macbeth that came out a year or so ago. I thought that was cool visually, but it really didn't add anything to me, like on top of the other great Macbeths. Visually, it was superb. And, you know, I like the actors and actresses. Marion Cotillard and uh, Fassbender are great. But this Macbeth, Lady Macbeth here, 2017, adds so much more to it that I like. It rounds her out, finally. And I just want to say this is another great movie. Go, go see. So both of the Lady films here, Lady Bird and Lady Macbeth, are f- just worth, worth seeing. Um, but... Lady Macbeth is, I would say, is an 8 out of 10. Sorry, uh, Lady Bird. But Lady Macbeth, 
definitely an eight out of ten. Uh, yeah, like the liked everything about that. And then we're gonna talk about Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Finally, so I did say we definitely this is spoiler territory. So alert, red alert, spoiler town. It's gonna happen. Star Wars talking about it. Uh oh, uh, you know. So go away if you don't like the spoilers. If you don't want me to talk about Star Wars at all, before I talk about Star Wars, I want to say the actress's name from Lady Macbeth, Florence Pugh. I avoided it. I don't know how to say her last name. P U G H. She's from England. Uh, yes, this is a great debut for her. Kicking, kicking butt. Uh, Florence, amazing performance. Um, Star Wars: The Last Jedi bounced to another Daisy Ridley performance because she was in Murder on the Orient, but she didn't really stick out that much. But here, she's given she's given a lot to do. Uh, so much controversy about Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Uh, what did Mark Hamill say? Oh no, and all that. Um, yeah. Look, look, I think, honestly, there are two films in Last Jedi. And I hope that's not disappointing to some. Um, but I do think that Star Wars is important. Because thinking about the prequels, I love the fan base that they would come out. And no matter what, it, if this movie's good or not with the prequels, we were all going to go experience it. So everybody was lining up for episode one. And I love the energy of that. And I'm always going to be there for the opening weekends for Star Wars. I think they're a must. You have to go see them, you know, because I <laughs> I always like Star Wars. Even when they were the bad ones, you know, it was very exciting. It did get a little draining on the third one. So I should quickly rank the prequels f for you, for me, for all of us. So, you know, I don't think there's much to do with the prequels, um, really. I like, I accept the Darth Maul fight scene at the end of episode one. And then I, I kind of think Clone Wars or Attack of the Clones is super bad and almost bad in a good way. You know, it's so bad. I think it follows Boba Fett, which was necessary, of course. And then I, this is where I differ from most people on the third on the prequels is the third one, which I really don't like. It's like, whatever. I really don't like the first half of episode one. I did like force awakens and I did think it had that actual kind of, um, great slower pace in the beginning for Ray. And I like Ray's origin and how they showed all that where she was from and her planet. Uh, this one, so, you know, I was okay with this going into this one. The, I don't think anybody would have predicted, obviously, <laughs> what the direction they went with Luke. And not to say that I hinge everything on that. I can accept that. I think Mark Hamill can accept that. And he did it. He did it brilliantly. He, play, he performed the, the, the role perfectly. He could do anything with Luke. But um, there was a couple of kind of training moments that I did like and of course we know that he's not really that much of a trainer and maybe he has these flaws that make him actually quite similar to Obi <laughs> Obi-Wan and then we have all this crazy Luke which is based on like Yoda being crazy and the crazy Yoda 
And I think they pushed that as far as they could. And I also think that they had the force act in a very wild, unpredictable way, in a very powerful way. The way that Ray was connected to Kylo was very interesting uh, with their like split screen talking and like their environments interacting with each other. The force was just doing super cool, interesting things here, even if it was a reveal as to who was doing what. Uh, I like that. I like the, the those sudden twists. I thought that was fine. There are two moments of again. This is with the force being super unpredictable and wild. It just does things that you could never imagine. Like what happens with Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, is frankly unimaginable. It's like what that can happen. And then once that happens, I have. I think a lot of people would have an issue with the fact that. What Carrie Fisher is capable of is very powerful. We've never seen her do anything. We see her do a vastly powerful Jedi move, which is cool. I mean, all props to Carrie Fisher. It's fucking brilliant. But once Luke does his trick, his amazing Jedi trick, which nobody had pulled off before, it's a bit disappointing what they follow it up with, with Luke's... um. I did say spoilers, so, you know, the end of Luke's story, it didn't feel like it necessarily had to be. It mirrors the structure of Force Awakens with Han's character. It felt kind of sudden. I am aware that maybe this could take Luke in a different direction for the next film, that maybe we could still see a lot of Luke, which could change things, because once start, once Force Ghost started happening in the in the... Return of the Jedi. That's a very interesting thing to add to a universe. So this could be, it could be a very interesting Star Wars realm moving forward. And I'm interested in the idea of gray Jedis, if there's a little bit of good and bad, and maybe there shouldn't be a certain order, a certain council, and that maybe actually everyone could be Jedis, and it doesn't matter who the parents are, and all all that stuff is very cool. Uh, And opens up the world a lot, which I like. Uh, Ray... Ray's parentage, it's funny though, because with this, it's like we don't, we, we think we don't know who her parents are, and then in the next film, I mean, it's going to be directed by J.J. Abrams, that means anything could happen, that means, and, and the fact that, that there's a lot of things that the next film could do that could almost undo things that happened in this movie, and then there's things that they could double down on that really take the take the franchise in interesting directions of course either way they go so i'm interested for the next film sure (laughs) i can't wait but this um you know there's a lot of hard things to swallow in this film (laughs) which because you just don't didn't and that's i get it but you know um i feel i feel a bit chastised when i criticize a movie that is very long uh, very much in the formula of what Marvel and Disney has been doing to other films, which is in their series, which is fine. But don't act like we haven't seen it before. Like, I've seen these Disney beats alluding to Rose's story and how her character is even introduced in the most typical Disney fashion. Like, t- Disney has no problem wiping out characters. All right. Like, Disney is Disney is so George R. R. Martin. That they just don't care. Okay, so it's not surprising to me when they do that to these great characters and they do that to freaking Mark Hamill, you know? So 
I was waiting for this old cast to come back when the prequel came out. And we were always wanting Han Solo to return in some fashion. And they return and they give us this, um, an exit as well. <laughs> Which is like, oh, great. Thanks for coming back. So we could, you know, mourn you <laughs> in a sense. But uh, I hope it's, you know, I'd like it to be more than that. Uh, who didn't imagine swashbuckling uh, Luke Skywalker to be an active part of this film? I mean, even we were led to believe that to some degree with some of the marketing, even from Force Awakens. And we know how Force Awakens was, and they took this in a certain direction. I'm not I'm not hating on humor in general <laughs> and I'm not hating on any of the um tearing down of some of the old you know male dominated tropes that are with within Star Wars that's fine uh but if we're tearing down all this stuff and we're doing all types of things why couldn't Poe be with Finn I think I'm really hung up on that because it's like you know I don't know. I mean, I actually hope, uh, obviously, she ends up. He uh, Poe ends up with Ray, of course. But uh, <laughs> you know, what are you doing with Finn in this movie? There's so much that's not really worth talking about. When that's the bad Disney half of this movie, there's a good Star Wars film in here, a bad Disney movie, and it's gray. And I still say it's a must see, and you must see it as many times as you think is you know healthy for you. Okay, because <laughs> Star Wars, it's here now. I don't think. It, it ruins everything. It's it's fascinating to have Mark Hamill on screen being Luke Skywalker. And what he did in this film was epic. So The Red Room fight was so glorious. And this Kylo and Rey are fascinating characters. I think they're pretty well built at this point. Although, so I was talking with someone and they pointed out that Kylo doesn't reserve any deserve any redemption. And you know what? I agree with that. He killed Han Solo. So what's all this trying to turn him? And I thought it was hilarious how this film was obsessed with, you're going to turn. No, you will be the one who will turn. No, it is you who will turn. Actually, I will be, you will be the one doing the turning. Anyway, turn, turn, turn. All this for Kylo, right? Who doesn't really deserve (laughs) redemption. Um, in a lot of ways. But then then the whole thing with his mask was funny. It's like, don't give that too much credit, okay? Like, <laughs> they threw away the mask. Great. Well, you want your actor to play the role. You don't want to be behind the mask like Bane, you know, like Tom Hardy flying around in Dunkirk. You never see his face. Can't understand what he's saying. Yeah, we want to see Kylo. However, Kylo's microphone was really cool inside the mask. I like that. But I like Adam Driver's voice. I think he has a really fantastic voice, and I love uh, hearing him talk and and uh, interacting with Ray. That was really well done. And there are just two, at least, Luke moments in this that I thought was fantastic. I have a little bit of like, okay, what, with a certain cameo, but uh, I'm not, even though this is a spoiler section, I'm not going to spoil it too much, you know. Um, good. Let me just check. There's anything else on Star Wars The Last Jedi. Sorry it took a while to get that out there. Um, but I would say, you know, Star Wars always is going to get a high audio and visual score, right? Like, it looks cool. So we'll give it sevens audio and visually. That should be fun. I want to thank you for tuning in. And I hope to have more for you next time. 
until then um koyaniskatsi koyaniskatsi